lesson. It is never fight with God. Never fight with God. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, the narrative continues and it says, It came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof, but every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof, in one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry it forth out of the, of the flesh abroad out of the house. Neither shall you break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is home-born and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it is with anticipation that we read your word tonight, knowing that you have spoken, 
listening for your voice to learn the lesson that you have for us. While these events transpired over 3,000 years ago, we know that they are written for our admonition and for our learning. Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to draw out this great principle from this text tonight. May we apply it to our lives and may we see it with clarity. God, help me to deliver your message this evening, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This passage is the culmination of issues and events that were discussed in previous verses. We, we probably could have not read those verses, but I suspect that that may be the first time some people have ever heard those verses. They've not quite made it this far in their annual Bible reading, and so I just wanted to read them so that we could all be on the same page. What we find here is that God is bringing all of these things together that he has been building up to and prophesying about. In these verses, we find the tenth plague comes to pass. It is the death of the firstborn. We find the Passover being mentioned and also the memorial that they are to keep the Passover in future generations. We find the favor that was discussed that God would give to his people that when they left Egypt that they would be able to take those things uh, willingly as gifts from the Egyptians and we find the deliverance that this has all been building up to. And so as we work our way through that text and we say, okay, because this is the culmination of all of these things and we've already kind of uh, broken down and unpacked many of those subjects, what is the point of this text of Scripture? And the great lesson to be learned from this passage of Scripture is the futility of fighting with God. If there is one big takeaway from these 20 plus verses that we read, it is that it is futile to fight against God. It's futile to resist God's will in our lives. In verse 29, the Lord makes his final strike. We saw it there. It came to pass at the midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And in verse 31, Pharaoh admits defeat and surrenders. Notice he called for Moses and Aaron by night. He said, rise up, get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go serve the Lord as you have said. Well, we've been going around and dancing this dance uh, from since chapter 5, haven't we? Where Moses has said, God said, let my people go that we may serve him. And Pharaoh says, well, I'll let the men go, but I won't let the women go. No, we've got to have the men, the women, and the children. Well, I'll let them go, but I won't let the cattle go. Well, we've got to have the men, the women, the children, and the cattle, so we've got to do it. And it's been back and forth, back and forth. And now, finally, Pharaoh surrenders. He, he admits defeat. You go. Go do what you've said. Take everybody with you and take all of your cattle with you also. And then the last verse of the chapter, verse 51, declares that the Lord is the undisputed champion and it solidifies the principle, never fight with God. What a great summation. It came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. You see, this is the great principle that we take from this text. Never fight with God. It's futile to fight with God. It's not just contained here in this text of Scripture, but it's such an important lesson that God repeats it throughout the Bible. You can find it in the book of Proverbs uh, 21 verse 30. There is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against 
the Lord. You're never going to come up with a plan where you outsmart God. You're never going to come up with a better plan than God has already. You're never going to have any strategy that is going to stand against God. The book of wisdom tells us that in Proverbs, but we also find it in demonstration in the New Testament book. If you remember in Acts chapter 5, the disciples of Christ were brought before the court of the Jewish council and they were threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. They had already been threatened in in chapter 4 and they go back out and preach. They're brought back in in chapter 5. This time they are threatened again. Don't speak anymore in this man's name. Did we not straightly tell you to do that? And in Acts chapter 5, there is a renowned rabbi named Gamaliel. I am told that he was the most prominent rabbi in Jerusalem in Israel at that time and he he called the council aside and he said this to them in Acts 5 38 and 39 now I say unto you refrain from these men let them alone for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to nothing but if it be of God you cannot overthrow it unless you find yourself even to fight against God. That was Gamaliel's advice to the council who was threatening the disciples. Now he says, look, if this is of God, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to find yourself fighting against God and you cannot overthrow God. That's the point of our Exodus 12 text. Never fight with God. Okay, I got that point, but how does that apply to me as a Christian? Well, let's just break it down a little bit. We don't usually see ourselves in identification with Pharaoh. We usually identify with Moses and his crew, right? Uh, because, uh, because in this narrative, those are the people of God. Those are the believers. And, and we, we insert ourselves in the story and we see ourselves with Moses or on his side. But the fact is, even as Christians... We do have something in common with Pharaoh. We have a tendency to resist God's work in our life. That's what Pharaoh was doing. God was wanting to do a work. God had a work that he wanted to do. And the work that he wanted to do was going to impact Pharaoh's life. And Pharaoh was resistant to that work. And so he puts up a fight. And I can't tell you how many times we as Christians find ourselves the subject of God's work and we're resistant to it. We put up a fight. God's will and God's work call for a drastic change to Pharaoh's way of life. Think about that. What is God calling on Pharaoh to do? Well, we know he's saying release these people, but if you are in Pharaoh's shoes, this is a drastic change in the way of life. Egypt has operated on this slave labor of the Hebrews for hundreds of years. I mean, this has been a way of life. This has been a bedrock. I mean, this is how they have built those those cities, those trophy cities that they have built. They've operated on this slave labor for a long time. And so when God says, I want you to let these people go, that's going to require a drastic change in Pharaoh's way of life. Pharaoh resisted and fought against God's work because not only would it be a drastic change in his life, but he would have to give something up that he did not want to give up, and that was the Israelite slaves. He didn't want to give them up. 
I mean, that's free labor. Those are a workforce that he doesn't have to employ. I mean, they accomplish much of the infrastructure in Egypt. And if he were to let them go, as God is telling him to let them go, then it is going to cause him to have to give up something that he doesn't want to give up. Again, Pharaoh also fought against God because he did not want to release control. Think about it. As emperor of Egypt, Pharaoh had total control over everything. I mean, he's the man. It's not a democracy in Egypt. It was an imperial monarchy, and Pharaoh did not want to release control of it to God. For Pharaoh to go along with God, what God wanted him to do, it was for Pharaoh to give up some modicum of control in his life and in his realm of rule. Furthermore, Pharaoh was not just a monarch. History tells us that he was a deified monarch. He saw himself as a God. Therefore, he rebelled against God for the same reason that Satan and Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They wanted to hold that position in their own lives. Whether Pharaoh really thought that he was a God or not, he liked playing God in his own life. And for him to go along with the work of God was for him to let God be God. By the way, I believe these are the same reasons we resist God's work in our lives. Think about the parallel. We don't want to change. When God is doing work in our life, it is going to require something to change. And a lot of times, we're resistant to that change. We're comfortable. We're in our comfort zone. We don't want to change. We don't want to give up something. Oftentimes, God's work is requiring us to make some sort of sacrifice, to leave something behind or to give something up. And we don't always want to let go of those things. I find another parallel. We don't want to let go of control. There's more control freaks in this world than we want to admit, isn't there? And while you may be able to hide that and keep it under control to a certain extent, We like being in control of our lives, of our destiny, of our decisions. We don't like to give up control even to God. But if we're going to let God have his work, we're going to give up some control to him. And the fourth parallel is that we want to be our own God. I mean, you and I cannot overlook that. I know that it sounds odd to our ears. We may think, well, I've never thought I want to be God. I don't want to rule the whole world. I don't want to be in charge of this or in charge of that. But the fact is, the same thing that lies in Satan, the same thing that lied in Adam and Eve, is the same thing that lies in you and I. It is our human carnal nature, and it wants to sit in the seat of God, at least in our own realm. We want to be in charge of our life. We want to answer to no one but our self and those are the similarities that we share with Pharaoh now that we've learned that we're sometimes like Pharaoh in our resistance to God's will and work in our lives let's go on to learn from his mistakes because he made the mistakes did he not he did not self-correct he did not yield he did not repent and it cost him big and so let's notice something here Pharaoh's offense number one was disobedience. 
Pharaoh's offense was disobedience. It wasn't just simply Pharaoh not wanting to go along with God. You and I have to understand that not wanting to do what God wants us to do is disobedience. God never makes suggestions. God never makes recommendations. God gives directives. God gives commands. God is authoritative in everything that he says for us to do. And for us to resist that is for us to disobey. And notice Pharaoh's offense of disobedience is really highlighted for us at the first encounter in Exodus chapter 5. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses comes to Pharaoh for the very first time. And it says in Exodus 5.1, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Just let me point something out there. God's not asking. Does that sound like a request to you? Is God submitting a request form that if Pharaoh had time and was obliging that he would let his people go? No, it is an imperative command. Let my people go. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Pharaoh was a fool. To disobey God. He was an absolute fool to disobey God. It's foolish to disobey God. For us to say, no, I don't think I'm going to take that route. No, I don't think that's a good idea. No, that's not really what I want to do right now, God. I'm, I'm going to put that off for a little while. You see, Pharaoh had misplaced trust in his own strength. He thought that he was a strong man, and he thought that he was a strong ruler. No doubt he had a country that was in a position of strength. It was a world power at the time, and he had trusted in his own strength and in his own might. He misplaced his trust in his status. Hey, look, he's the biggest fish in the pond. He's at the top of the pyramid. I mean, you can't get higher than Pharaoh in. Egypt and so he had misplaced trust in his status and he had misplaced trust in his success he had been running that country for some time now he had been keeping those Hebrew slaves on track and out of rebellion and he had placed his trust in his strength his status and his success and so he didn't want God interfering with that and I'm telling you sometimes our own success can be one of our greatest detriments because we think or we don't want God to rearrange things in our life. Why do we foolishly cling to the temporal things of this world instead of obeying God? Right? We can see the folly in what Pharaoh does. Why, why is he so foolish? Why is he so disobedient? Why does he understand you can't fight against God? And I've turned the question around and said, why do we do the same thing? Why do we say, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm not ready to let go of this, even though God is working in our life to do so. Why do we rely on our strength? Why do we rely on our status? Why do we rely on our success and in so doing resist God? Pharaoh's offense was disobedience. Pharaoh's outcome was destruction. You know, even the people around Pharaoh saw it before he did. Look at Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10 verse 7 says, Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long... Shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? 
Right? God has given Pharaoh ten chances. God has given Pharaoh ten warnings. God has increased each plague with a level of degree of intensity. At any point, Pharaoh has the opportunity to change, to repent, to turn things around. And yet... Pharaoh doesn't make that choice, and the only outcome in that situation is destruction. The word destroy that is used there in Exodus 10, 7 means to reduce to useless fragments. Isn't that a wonderful description? To reduce to useless fragments. God proved that he had the power to take all of those things that Pharaoh was trusting in and to reduce them into useless fragments. Literally, the country fell economically. The country fell militaristically. The country fell in its leadership. Everything about Egypt just collapsed in on itself through the destruction of the plagues through the favor that God gave to Israel as they borrowed the precious jewels and uh, gold and materials as they left, and through uh, the ultimate uh, destruction that came as uh, Pharaoh and his army was destroyed in the Red Sea. You see, sadly, Pharaoh did not even learn from this, but he continued to fight against God, ultimately losing his own life in the Red Sea. Exodus 14, 28 says, Not so much as one of them remained what a stubborn man what a fool to continue fighting against God I mean he's lost everything God has already proved that he could take everything away Pharaoh couldn't protect his own house from God and yet as soon as the people of Israel leave Pharaoh says you know what I'm still in this fight I'm coming after them and so it leads me to ask this question what does God have to take away from us What does God have to reduce to fragments in our life to get us to stop fighting against him? Now, understand, you may be sitting in your pew tonight thinking, well, I don't have a fight with God. I'm going along with God. But, But may we take some time this evening and just examine ourselves? Can I ask you a few questions? Can I give you a few realms, a few scenarios in which this happens? The fact is, we can find ourselves fighting with God on any number of things. Some people fight with God about salvation. How many of you all can think back and remember when God was working in your life to bring you to salvation? And it begins with conviction. Perhaps my witnesses to you. Perhaps you had grown up in church, but you hadn't truly trusted Christ. And you know that God is doing something in your life, but you were resistant to it you you were fighting against God I'm telling you the the varnish has been worn off the back of some of these pews because people stood through invitations gripping them because they were not ready to give in the fight and surrender to God's call to salvation Whether it's resistance to change, that happens sometimes. To get saved means that there's going to be a drastic change in my life. I remember the night that God was convicting me to come to Him by faith. And I remember being torn and having this internal conflict because I didn't know if I was ready to make the changes or allow God to make the changes that were going to be made in my life through salvation. There was a little bit of a battle that went on between me and God that night. 
But can I tell you where it probably applies to a Sunday night crowd more so? And that may be the reluctance to admit that you're not really saved. You know, sometimes there are people who have been in church, who have made a profession of faith. Everybody around them thinks that they're saved. They're good, wholesome, decent people. But somewhere along the way, God begins convicting their hearts, saying, you know what, you never really have trusted me. Maybe you've taught a Sunday school class. Maybe you've sang in the choir. Maybe you've led other people to the Lord. But in your heart, you know that you have not put your faith in me. There is a tremendous battle that happens there. And I've heard more than one testimony of this, that, that people at that stage really fight because, because it would be so embarrassing for them to stand up and say, you, you know what, I'm not saved, I need to get saved, when everybody in the church already thought that they were. I mean, let me just remind you, if you find yourself in any of those positions, then fighting against God is never the right answer. Whether it's, whether it's this, this reluctance to change or this reluctance to admit that you need to be saved, you're on the losing end of that fight either way. What are you going to gain from that fighting against God? Here's another area. Some people fight against God about surrender. About surrender. We all have a hard time letting go of control, but complete surrender is God's requirement for a victorious Christian life. You know, it seems like this is an area where a lot of Christians struggle. A lot of people come to faith in Christ. They get saved. They, they put their faith in the Lord. They, they want to serve the Lord. They want to see some changes. But they're not quite ready to yield every part of their life to God. They're not ready to sign over the rights of their life to God. What if God calls them to be a missionary and sends them to Africa? Well, I mean, we imagine all these things. Well, what's going to happen if I completely surrender? And a lot of times we as Christians will go through our Christian life holding on to this area of control that we won't release to God. And it cycles around every so often you're in church and you're hearing preaching or you're reading your Bible or you're hearing a radio broadcast and, and the Holy Spirit starts convicting you about that again and you, you know it. You've been down that path before and you're not quite ready to let go and to surrender to God and, and you resist and you hold out. Some people fight uh, with God about sacrifice. It's not easy for us to give something up. We're something about us that, that we are all collectors of a sense. We are all hoarders of a sense. I mean, we, we want to keep the things that we have earned and collected over the years, and, and, and we're not always ready to sacrifice those things. But can I point something out to you? God has required sacrifice in some form from all of his people, from Abraham to Paul. I mean, you just look at God's people all through history. There's always been a sacrifice that was required. Abraham was called upon to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac. And he is set up as not only as the patriarch, but the paradigm of God working in the life of a person. Saul sacrificed his entire career to serve God. And then he made many other sacrifices, being in prison, beaten, mocked, run out of town, all of those things. And everybody in between has, has, has made some sort of sacrifice. No, it's not an exchange for salvation. It's not a payment for salvation. It's simply the path that God puts us on as his people. In fact, Jesus Christ 
came and made himself a sacrifice as a supreme example for you and I to realize that sacrifice is part of the Christian life. If you and I aren't willing to give something up for God, then God is just not very valuable to us. The problem is he usually will put his finger on the one thing we don't want to give up, right? The rich young ruler, Master, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knew exactly where he was coming from. Oh, i tell you what you do. Go and sell all your possessions. Just give the money away to charity and then come follow me. And it says that young man went away very sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. He had great possessions. And the sacrifice required was too high for him to follow God. Another area that some people fight with God about is in service. We can make all kinds of excuses for not serving God, but the bottom line is we are either serving God or we are serving ourselves. So who's God? Is it God or is it me? If I'm not serving the Lord, why am I not serving the Lord? If you're not serving the Lord, why are you not serving the Lord? You see, service is part of the Christian life. I really believe that it is part of the growth path that God has for us as believers that we're not meant to just sit and soak it all up, but that we are to take it in and give it back out. And I believe that every Christian ought to have some sort of ministry in which they serve the Lord. Do you remember what the Lord said to Saul when Saul was on his road to Damascus, he encountered the Lord, and the Lord said this, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We could insert the words fighting against. Why are you fighting against me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, or who you are fighting against. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Me and Jim talked about this the other day when we were talking about uh, animals, uh, that plow animals being put in, in a yoke together, that oftentimes part of that rig were some sharp sticks that were behind them because that animal would have a tendency to kick to try and get out of that yoke. And so the farmers would put some small sharp sticks back there so that if the animal kicked, it actually pricked the animal. It didn't do serious damage, but it would teach them not to kick. The harder you kick, the more it hurts. And what the Lord was saying to Saul is, you're fighting against me and it's hurting you. It's making your life harder. Some Christians' lives are unnecessarily hard because they're fighting with God. They won't surrender. They won't give in. They won't yield to the Lord. Thankfully, Saul realized the futility of fighting against God, and he gave in to complete surrender. His response, not Pharaoh's response, should be our response. I love it. Saul says in Acts 9, 6, Lord... Curios, master, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? That, my friend, is the attitude that Paul had for the rest of his life. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm all in. No more fighting from me. I surrender. I wave the white flag. I join your team. My answer to you is always yes 
no matter what the question is. And so I think that that would be the greatest prayer that we could make this evening. Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. Would you bow your head with me this evening? I want to take a moment tonight. I don't always do this. But with your head bowed, your eyes closed, nobody looking around, we're shutting everybody else out, even the person sitting right beside of us, and it's just you and God. It's just me and God. I just want to ask you a few questions. Is there someone here who has been fighting with God about salvation? Maybe you're here tonight and you know you're not saved. There's no need for embarrassment. The question is, why would you fight God on this? What are you going to win if you fight him to the end? You will end up in hell for eternity. And so I just want to take a moment this evening when nobody's looking around and ask, is there somebody here who's been fighting with God about salvation? Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. And I want you, if you are the one fighting against God, I want you to acknowledge that this evening. Anybody here this evening, we're just taking a moment. You can raise your hand up and say, yeah, I've been fighting God on this in my life. Is there anyone who has been fighting with God about surrendering your life completely? Maybe there's an area of your life that you've been holding on to. Maybe you have this area of your life that you're afraid that, that, that if you give God control of it, he's going to do something with it that's going to make you very uncomfortable. Maybe you have this, this phobia about losing control and for that reason you have just held on to the reins of your life and you really haven't turned them over to the Lord. If that's you, while nobody's looking around, would you raise your hand tonight? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I need to surrender it all to the Lord. Maybe there's someone here tonight who's been fighting with God about sacrifice. I know that finances are touchy. I know that that is our bread and butter. That is how we make a living. That's how we support our family. But maybe God's been convicting you about tithing regularly. Maybe you know the Lord. You love the Lord. You would do anything for the Lord. But you really can't afford to tithe or so you think. And God's been working with you about that God's been convicting you about that I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand I think that's a private matter maybe God's been working on you about giving a one-time offering maybe there's something that God wants you to give to and you've been resistant to that I don't know what God's been speaking to you about but if God is has been convicting you about that don't fight against him and then the final question maybe you're here and you're fighting against God about serving him God's still calling people to ministry vocationally. Maybe you're here tonight and God wants you to serve him with your whole life. He wants him, you to serve him with your career. He, he wants you to go into the Lord's work. But on the other hand, maybe he just wants you to be a volunteer. Maybe he wants to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe he wants you to mentor a new disciple. Maybe he wants you to serve in some ministry. And you've been feeling that tug in your heart, but you've been reluctant to do so. You're just not ready to make that commitment. If you learn anything, let's learn this from Pharaoh. Don't fight against God. It is not possible to win a battle against God, so we just need to stop fighting and surrender to his will. 
And so let's take this opportunity tonight and just pray a prayer of surrender, giving it all to the Lord. Lord, whatever it is that you want in my life, I am willing to do it. Whatever I have been resistant or reluctant to that you've been trying to do in my life, I'm going to lay down my arms, I'm going to relax my posture, and I'm going to be obedient. Dear Lord, I do thank you so much for taking the life of Pharaoh, a man who is so far and so foreign from us, and using it to hold up a mirror in your word to reflect our own attitudes and our own resistance sometimes. Lord, you only know the hearts of men and women. You know what battles have been raging in people's lives. I pray that tonight would be a night of surrender. I pray that tonight would be a night of stopping fighting. Lord, I know that in my own life, sometimes I am resistant to what you want me to do. Lord, help us this evening just to say yes, just to give in, just to yield to you. Help us to make Paul's response our response. What would you have me to do, Lord? Whatever it is. I'm all in. That's our prayer tonight, Lord, we pray. Help us to live it out tomorrow and the day after. In Jesus' name, amen. If you